Hey everyone, my name is Nate Sheets with Oregon Behavior Consultation, and you are listening to the It's a Brain Thing podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jill Snell. Hi. Hey. Hi, Nate. And we are broadcasting, of course, from Salem, Oregon. We love Salem. (laughs) (laughs) We love Salem. It's raining right now, so... Yeah, I know, but it's like blustery, cozy, rainy. Yeah, it's, it's a nice rain. In fact, as I parked at your house, there was this house, and these two people were at the front door. One dude had like this, like almond color coat. The other chick had this navy blue coat. And I said, "Stop right there! If you guys have the gram, I need to take a picture because you match identical to your house with the fall ambiance, with the storm coming. It was magical." I don't think they had the gram and they probably thought I was a weirdo. <laughs> they didn't want me to take the I don't, picture. I don't know what you're talking about when you parked at my house. We're not in my house. No, we're, we're, at a fancy we're in a studio. studio. <laughs> <laughs> we're not next to my refrigerator, which we had to unplug because of the noise it makes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually, um, our listeners may or may not be interested to know that we will kind of have a studio yeah. in the next month because I'm moving <laughs> and my I, my business runs out of my home. And so we're going to have a dedicated podcasting and YouTube studio. Yeah. So if you guys like our videos, that will be good. Which is closer to my, my house so I can stalk mm. you easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not in the weird way, just yeah. in like the friendly way. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to be talking a little bit about empathy. Mm-hmm. And one thing we were talking about before we started recording is um, you know, I just noticed that at any given time in the FASD community, there are families who are in like total crisis. There are families who are experiencing a lot of difficulties. And then there are families who are like, oh, things are kind of going well. And then there are some people who are in a moment of like elation and positivity because, you know, their their kid has just learned something or they were able to be independent with something or to, to just to stand out in a really cool way or mm-hmm. overcome a challenge. And we, you know, we were kind of preparing for talking about empathy and how that all relates. Because I think me and you in particular, we feel empathy in different ways. And Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that today, different types of empathy. And empathy, you know, from the neurological level is extremely complex. And I have barely an understanding. So, you know, we're kind of learning about it together. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's also fascinating because it's a skill. Yeah. 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 A learned skill. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't express that enough. Yeah. We need to do more people, more for our kids to learn empathy. To learn empathy, yeah. yeah. And so let's talk about kind of what empathy is to start off with. So, um, you know, from my perspective, empathy is a function of our cognitive skills. And so for me to feel empathy for somebody. So I guess the basic definition of empathy is just being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Some people choose to... Um, define empathy separate from sympathy. So sympathy is just, you know, feeling sorry for somebody, but empathy is kind of taking it that step further. So that's tends to be how I think about them, but just to get those definitions. But to then, we have to, re- we have to remember that for me to know how Jill feels about something right now, that requires skills, other cognitive skills like executive functioning. And so what we tend to see is, um, 
to a largely unfair degree, in my opinion, is these descriptions of people with developmental disabilities, FASD, autism, various different ones, that, well, they're not empathetic. And so I, I question that a lot of the time, especially with autism. If you read um, a lot of the autistic advocates who blog, like they will tell you, no, our issue sometimes is that we are so empathetic that we start to have these reactions. Um, and so that's fascinating in and of itself yeah. and intriguing because it's different than how people perceive what and we powerful. see on the outside. Yeah. And I feel also that it's an extraordinary learning tool for us, typical brained humans, to mm-hmm. learn from those yeah. models. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when we talk, when I talk about, um, like in my trainings and on some of my videos, when I try to like help people think about what would it be like to not have this skill, I'm trying to use empathy as a tool for us. Because if we actually put ourselves in somebody's shoes, we actually might be able to brainstorm what you know, the practical solutions people like about that I give. That's what I do. I'm like, I ask myself, oh, so the situation might have to do with not having an attention span. What would it be like for me if I didn't have an attention span in that moment? And what would be a support? That's literally my thought process. Um, and so empathy can be really, really helpful. Definitely. Yeah. And then my, I think my take from that is the the part that I add on to Nate's is that once we think of it as a cognitive skill, then naming it and finding it in our bodies of what that feels like to be not just to think about what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes, but what then does that feel like in our own bodies Mm -hmm. and to figure that part out of where in our bodies we're feeling those feelings and what those feelings actually feel like um, helps to kind of make those connections even stronger. Yeah. And so one thing I encourage people to look at is can the person show empathy some of the time? Because so what people will say is, well, she really is caring about her little brother and sister. She, you know, when they get hurt, she's she's very concerned about them. But then when they make her mad, she'll hit them. And but then that's somehow interpreted as not having empathy. But as we know, well, no. Like if she can show it when she's calm, she has empathy. She obviously has those skills. So let's look at what else could be going on here. Maybe in that case, it's impulse control or emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just just being really mindful of that distinction as well. Let's look and say before we assume this person, quote unquote, doesn't have empathy. Let's look at what other skills could be playing a factor mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you think of some of the things that you've done? Because people want to know, how do we teach empathy? And let me actually answer that question. Can we learn empathy? I don't know the answer to that question because the research is mixed on that is by no means solid and um, there's no consensus about it. And, And that's because a lot of it might be linked to cognitive skill. So if a child quote unquote struggles with empathy, but then as they get older, their executive functioning improves, therefore their empathy might improve. So it might've happened anyway, or it might be through intentional therapeutic slash, you know, practical ways that we're going to be talking about today, really. Cause so I don't know. So then I'm going to err on the side of caution and do some exercises or some activities to at the very least try to get some of those skills going. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Regardless of what science is saying, I know for a fact empathy can be taught because I can feel it and I can feel it in children and I cannot feel it in children that haven't been exposed to it. And I think it was a really, um, it was a huge lesson for me. That was one of my main goals, one of my main intentions as a mom for all three of my kids was to teach my children empathy and to um, expect empathy from my children. And about a year ago... Um, I started losing 
that response mm. from my oldest yeah. with fetal alcohol. And that was one of my questions when I was working with Nate was, did she lose her empathy? I was so, and the more I felt like she was losing her connection to people mm. um, and her her connection to reactions of her world, um, the m- more I was, the, the longer my to-do list became as her mom of how am I going to fix this? How am I going right. to like bring yeah. her back to this place that I, I hold so important and so dear in mm-hmm. my heart? And the more I was working at this, trying to teach her, the less I was going on my normal mom instinct of actually just feeling it um, in my gut and feeling it in my heart. And um, I was losing it even more with her. And um, it wasn't until we turned to yoga um, that I understood the neurological response of the gut and or am learning to understand because it's like Nate said, it's incredibly complex and really confusing. But yeah, and you're the yoga instructor is doing a form of mindfulness. Yes. Which is legit. Yes. Legit yeah. therapeutic um, teachings and not just for kiddos, but for for parents. And mm-hmm. I think the coolest thing about this and why this could be really, really powerful for this whole new population of kiddos with fetal alcohol or any other brain barriers is that she doesn't rely on the executive functioner mm-hmm. to pull out empathy. She teaches kids how to feel it in their bodies and teaches them what that feels like and they get to name it and they get to develop the sense of what it looks like and feels like in their own bodies. So they're using their gut and their heart to derive a sense of empathy instead of having to rely on their executive functioner, which is right. really most of the time not capable of, yeah. of such a complex skill. Yeah. And so um, there are there are different types of empathy kind of theorized, yeah. but the two I wanted to talk about today are what's called cognitive empathy and what's called emotional empathy. Mm-hmm. Um and both require cognitive skills, but cognitive empathy tends to be what I have. So as a professional, you know, I work in pretty much every environment. I work in family homes. I work in foster homes, group homes, um, even some more intense settings. And so I see kind of a wide range of stress. And just for whatever reason, that's you know not important to talk about now. Mm-hmm. I tend to have cognitive empathy. I feel like yeah. I'm a very empathetic person, yeah. but I'm definitely not emotional. And I think anybody <laughs> who's interacted with me in a professional capacity would see that. I don't show my emotions, um, but I, I still feel like I'm empathizing because that allows me to kind of come up with the solutions. Um, but you, I guess, you know, would be more would be more of that emotional kind. You actually yeah. can feel that emotion. Yeah. And I'm sure there are there are probably pluses and minuses to both. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. you kind of go from the brain to the gut, and I go from the gut to the brain. And yeah. I think it's just because that's naturally how we are formed. Mm. But kind of con- learning to be able to balance the two and connect the two through that – is it the vagus nerve? That's the vagus nerve, yeah, V-A-G-U-S. Yeah, through the vagus nerve, I think that's where that the best of both worlds can collide. Right. From the gut and the brain, whether you start from the top and go to the bottom or the bottom to the top. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, sh- the person you guys are working with is trying to not use so much of that executive functioning, yeah. which makes sense for fetal alcohol or kids because they don't have that there. And so one of the biggest ways that I suggest trying to either build social skills or empathy yeah. is using things like movies or mm-hmm. cartoons. So when, because instead of just talking about it and expecting 
you know, our kid or whoever to think about it all in their brain, we can actually use something that is right there in front of them Mm -hmm. that we just watched. And we can ask those questions. How do you think this character felt when this character did that? Yeah. And do you, you know, do you remember, you know, ask them, have you ever had a situation like that? Or do you remember last week when this happened? Does that, do you think that's kind of the same, but that, that, using a piece of media of some kind can be a really helpful starting place, For sure. but we have to be willing to, you know, either engage in the media, you know, find it. And you, you don't have to intentionally even go out. If you're just, you know, cooking dinner and you happen to hear what they're, what, you know, part of the plot is that can be even a starting place for a conversation to start mm-hmm. actually engaging them. So we, we have the visual or the media, the movie or whatever, And then we start to ask those questions that start engaging those executive functioning skills and they're actually practicing those skills. And so really the more conversations we can have, the better, because we're now we're using those more abstract skills. So we have the concrete, then the abstract, you know, and then maybe that will allow us to make a plan to move forward with something or something similar like that. Absolutely. And I think even taking it to that next step, once you have a good firm foundation of that, then when you're talking, when they're watching the movie and you're like, well, you know, how does that, how do you think that they feel during that? I think then that next step, you can make it even deeper where they can start connecting it to themselves is, did you feel like that ever? What did that feel like? Where in your body did you feel that? And Mm -hmm. really start to connect their feelings with your feelings. Because I think one of the things I struggled with, with our oldest early on with a lot of the therapeutic things we were introducing to her is, in certain, some of the therapies, our oldest not only has um, fetal alcohol, but she also has uh, autism. And um, one of the therapies we were going for or uh, working with was um, yellow. Say the word ABA. Say the mm. word yellow. This is yellow. Say the word. What else is yellow? Right? This really repetitive notion of a word or even if we put that towards emotion, sad. This is what a sad face looks like. Who has a sad face? What does that sad face look like? But the part that we were missing from that, and I didn't know how to articulate this until we started working with this woman, Jen, was that what does sad feel like to you? And where do you feel sad on your body? Mm -hmm. And it's really incredibly powerful what it's done for our oldest in in relation to just um, coming back to the core of who she is and how she fits into this world. And And I think also on that same front, um, me practicing that as her, as her support and as her mama, um, what, what does frustration feel like to me and where is that Mm. in my body? And, um, just really starting that conversation and and being aware of that myself. Yeah. 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 I mean, and you mentioned before we were recording, you know, we, for autistic kids, we will give them these charts with like these faces. There's like a spectrum. (laughs) There's somebody who's frowning, there's somebody who's angry. And then like they, they kind of get happier as you go down the line. Right. And so we're telling them here is what happy is. Right. But right. for an autistic kid, especially, but also many people with fetal alcohol, right. that's not who they are. Right. Maybe a neurotypical person is represented on that chart. And we want to make sure that, um, you know, we kind of honor who people are. Yeah. And, so. and teach them because it's, they can memorize all these facts and they can have all these words, but we're negating the fact that they have to be able to feel it and then name it. Because then if they don't name it in their own selves, they cannot tame it in their own yeah. selves. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And so another way, you know, maybe to try to work on empathy a little proactively is if you're about to do an activity where you know your kid might struggle um, and, you know, the root of the issue is maybe empathy would help. So maybe, for example, you guys are going on a um, going to visit family for the holiday and you're worried about how, you know, your kiddo might treat a cousin or a little brother. 
if you can talk about that ahead of time and use those words, you know, how would it feel to you if you had something grabbed out of your hands Mm -hmm. or how would you feel if um, somebody grabbed your present and opened it for you? Trying to be literally trying to get those situations going in their heads ahead of time can help then if it's actually playing out and those situations are unfolding. And then so empathy might be a tool that you use as the kind of motivation to follow through on the plan. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I think practicing too, like uh, it was just a few weeks ago when I had this, well, I guess it was this last week that it was this moment of elation when our oldest was... um, through all these these um, months and months of intensive yoga and, and um, working with um, this awesome chick um, about uh, mindfulness, she finally, it clicked for her. And she told me that, and she absolutely articulated this to me, she told me that um, anxiety, for example, um, starts in her tummy Mm-hmm. and works its way up and becomes this tornado in her head. And I told her that's exactly how my anxiety feels too. And so she and I came up with this plan together about we take our hand on our foreheads now and we erase the tornado first, and then we have our other hand on our tummy and we're rubbing it as mm-hmm. if we're saying, it's okay, we got this. And um, and so just the other day when she came home from school and she was really kind of stressed out and stuff and she was um, starting in this old routine of not being super kind to her little sister, um, I started – and I was feeling really anxious and um, not accessing, accessing my empathy. I was just getting angry. I wasn't right. – um, I wasn't seeing where she was coming from or feeling where she was coming from. My feelings were blocked off and I just wanted to like, kiddo, we got to do this. We got to do this. Like calm down. Here's this support. Here's that support. Instead, I just stopped and I erased with my hand my tornado and I took my hand on my tummy and I rubbed it. And she saw me and she put her hand on her forehead and she erased her tornado and she rubbed her tummy and it just everything melted. Mm. It was just this really super big goosebumps right now because it's and it's not going to happen perfectly like that every time. But what that showed me is that she's getting it. And that's an extraordinary skill for any nine-year-old, any typical developing Mm -hmm. nine-year-old to be able to like, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm going to talk myself down through this. But honest to God, it, it just, it's working and it's connecting her to her brain. And, um, and it's working for me as her parent to not parent through anxiety and fear, but to really access my empathy of what she's feeling and going through and just sitting with her in that space. It's, Unreal. It is Great. unreal. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, Nate. <laughs> hey, how about the rating scales? Because I think that's a really, especially kids that are wildly lost in their anxiety tornadoes in their worlds. I think that the rating scales is the starting point of identifying. It just it's a lot easier to be like red you know, versus like, where am I feeling this? You know, because they have to be in somewhat of a calm space to actually decide where it's feeling. So I think, can you talk about that? About how to get them to that space? How to, how the, the, just the simple green. Oh, okay. Green, yellow, red or whatever. Yeah. Just the color, like another practical suggestion of teaching kids what they're feeling. Yeah. To be able to relate that to others is through. Yeah, so we have we have those rating scales and you know, they have a face on them. Sometimes they have colors. Mm-hmm. And so maybe what you could do with somebody is to 
identify what their actual scale is visually. So instead mm-hmm. of the frowny face, it could be, you know, some, you know, a stomach or whatever, however yeah. they feel that. And if they have a range of emotions and then maybe you could assign a color to those. So once you've established what those quote unquote colors, the red, the orange, the yellow, whatever, totally, um, that could be kind of become the new idea to them I love of that. what that is. And it's also one of those safe words. Like when, when our oldest is on a trampoline and she's starting to, her body's getting out of control. I just yell green, green. And she brings her body back down and it doesn't isolate her from her peers saying, you're out of control. Calm the hell right, down. Yeah. But it's like, she it's like those prompts that we, I mean, it's yeah. a proactive plan. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You okay. Just come up with a system. I love that. Visual color, you know, a silly word, a code word, whatever okay. it is. I yeah. like it. So do you want to, yeah. Can I say, um, something Nate and I were talking about earlier, um, there's some weeks and some days where it's really hard for me to come in and do the podcast because um, some weeks I'm absolutely just in survival mode yeah. um, with behaviors and where we're at in our home. And I want to make that really clear. And um, I come in with a positive attitude and I, I have all these um, thoughts and feelings about how to make it better. And I, I just want to make sure that people know that um, it's really unbelievably normal to ride this wave of super high highs and really low lows and that um, some weeks surviving is okay and some weeks um, feeling um, really stoked about these disabilities is really okay and some weeks um, feeling helpless and confused and scared as hell is really okay. And Nate told me that he's going to drag me in here even on my hard weeks so that we can be real and we can be human with one another and just really acknowledge that. But, um, it's, I, I, I want people to know if, if this week is your hard week and this week you're surviving, I'm hugging you and I'm feeling you and, um, remember that light at the end of the tunnel because it's, full of so much joy and so much passion and so much love. And, um, it's going to come again. You're going to ride up again. So hang in there. Yeah. That's an example of emotional, uh, empathy. <laughs> Whereas my, my, I feel the same empathy, but my response is to pat you on the shoulder and say, they're there. <laughs> so that's how those play out. But yes, we definitely, it's, it's not always easy and yeah. it's not just parents, but it's also the kids or, you know, people with FASDs themselves, you know, when things are stressful for us as caregivers, things are also stressful for them. So yeah. hopefully this podcast makes it a little bit easier. Totes. Totes, my goats. On in that note, and on that note, <laughs> it won't bleed together words. Okay. Do you remember like as a kid when like, yeah. you know, Z100. Yeah. yeah. Like all those radio stations are like the thing. Well, the smooth jazz. Yeah. 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 yeah Straight up. Yeah. Or like Delilah. Remember at night, Delilah, right? She had, oh, she was yeah. it. Right. Delilah, remember her? Yeah. So like when I think of podcasts, like I'm always like going back to that, you know, and I used to like as a kid, like shrug my shoulders or like <laughs> slick my hair back and be that cool gym rock man. So, just, you should see Nate's face right now. So, do you want he's to try the so, outro again? He's so embarrassed. But I think. Just, I'm just hungry. I want to eat. So, just imagine that cool 90s chick behind the microphone when I say, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. Good, good, good. I'll let you. I don't listen to the podcast. Anymore. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.